Welcome to She Woo Dares, a podcast where women share empowering stories of personal growth, embracing the inexplicable calling of the soul, and in which I speak of all things Akasha, human design, soul plan, and everything in between, hoping to normalize the woo. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another episode of the podcast She Woo Dares, where we talk about things that are not so conventional, things that are available for our growth, personal growth and uh, and development, uh, and really hoping, hoping to normalize the woo for all of you out there. Today, I'm so excited. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous, I've already confessed, and excited because when I decided to do the She Woo Dares podcast, I was like, well, what can I dare to do? And I dared to reach out to Karen Curry Parker, who is one of the world leaders, leading experts on on human design. She's the creator of quantum human design. She's written multiple books, such as Understanding Human Design, The Quantum Human, Abundance by Design, Evolution Guides, Yearly, The Encyclopedia of Quantum Human Design, uh, and so much more. She's created a beautiful card deck, which which are the quantum activation cards. Um, so welcome, Karen. Thank you so much for doing this. Tell us a little I'm, bit about yourself. I'm excited to be here. Oh my gosh. Tell me, tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I think you, you covered the gamut. Um, you know, I think I, I love the title of your podcast because I think, um, you know, I've, I've been in the woo world, if you want to call it that, um, Wow, if I have to do the math, like 28 years, maybe. That's not counting my childhood, which was just, I had a woo-woo childhood. Um, And I, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I have always encountered, particularly in my women clients, which most of my clients are women anyway, is, you know, a a secret either longing for the woo or even a secret following of the woo, but they're like in the closet, right? I've literally had clients who were doing tarot cards and tarot readings in the closet. Literally, they had their cards hidden in the closet. Um, so I think having this conversation and as as you say, you know, normalizing the woo, taking the woo out of the woo and just making it be a part of life is really important. It's certainly how I have always lived my life. Well, I won't say I've always lived my life. I definitely had a cycle of going back to sleep for many reasons and sort of being reawakened, I would say reawakened probably uh, at courtesy of my third child. My third child is just such a woo-woo magician sorcerer. And he really kind of reminded me about who I am and kickstarted a lot of my adult reemergence back into the woo. So mm-hmm. That's beautiful. So, okay. Yes. So coming out of the woo closet, and 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 making it normal and people feel still very judged around it you know like if you do anything that's unconventional that's not the norm um people have opinions about that and it's those opinions that make it you know more difficult to step out and, and embrace it for a lot of people and that's something that i've really had to do as well so briefly what what would you describe as woo woo or woo that's a really dodgy question because personal on a personal level, I would say, you know, woo, woo is, is integrating the right part of the brain, the right hemisphere of the brain into, you know, your conditioned thinking around logic and reasoning. Um, you know, I believe that we are hardwired 
to connect and know and experience the world on multiple levels in multiple dimensions, if you want to say it that way. Um, I think human design shows us that. And if we look at the fact that we have a soul code that resides in part of the way our mind operates and that soul code has a connection point through the pineal gland and that soul code connects us to our, our higher purpose, our soul purpose, and that that soul purpose integrates into our human story and we have a code for our human story. I mean, I, I think it's very difficult and I think un, I, I'd like us to stop, you know, dissecting the woo as something separate. It, it sort of goes back to, um, you know, people talk about your spiritual self or your spiritual life. I'm like, what in your life isn't spiritual? I mean, you, there's no way you can extract that as a separate thing. It's like, you know, what you gain in your meditation, you should be taking back into the kitchen. It's not always easy, <laughs> but you know, it's not any different. Changing a baby's diaper is just as spiritual as, you know, a, 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 a pr an ecstatic prayer. It's the same thing. There's nothing in our matrix that isn't spiritual just like there really isn't anything in our matrix that isn't woo, but we like to lie to ourselves and pretend that we're really rational, reasonable human beings having this very dense, logical, linear experience. But even that's new in the human story. That really only happened, you know, at the end of the scientific revolution. And, you know, which what is around 1780s at the, with the death of Sir Isaac Newton. Prior to that, and actually the whole purpose of the scientific revolution in the first place was to help us understand our superstitions and make sense of the material world. And most importantly, give us the power to not be squashed by the church or, or to be squashed by the kings and queens anymore, right? It was an empowering movement, but somehow it transformed into this interpretation of the world in this very formulaic way. And we, we left the woo behind, if you will, which I think has been damaging for us. And I think, but, and that being said, I think in the last 25 years, we've been in this very intensive collective process of reclaiming that as an integral part of our human story. Yes. Yes. Because you also had a program, I have a program called Healing the Witch Wound, right? So, which comes to that, like we, it's, it's been very separated. We've had this necessity to, to be very logical about things, to, um, to move forward to where we are now and now it's like everything that's been squashed is re-emerging and you can feel it you can sense it everywhere uh, like women are getting stronger they're, they're tapping more into their power into healing abilities which we all have but it's about are you are you willing to to explore it are you willing to experiment are you willing to to embrace it and to trust it as well so a lot of this is trust right mm -hmm. so i know there was a, a time in your life where you kind of gave up everything and just i guess you started following your sape or your manifesting generator in human design and, and there must have been an, an impulse for you to trust your sacral even though you didn't quite know what being a manifesting generator was at that point that was before you actually tapped into human design I mean, I think, I think about that a lot. I don't know if I could give you like, here's the answer, Debbie. Um, I, I certainly would say, I sometimes almost don't like sharing my story because I, there's a, there's a tendency, I think in the personal growth and development world to teach, you know, if I can do it, you can do it. And I think that's a really dangerous thing to embody because 
we're all different. So the way I've done it and my story is a nice story. It's a cool story. It's a story that I'm very grateful for, but it, it might not translate to someone else. So listen to it as I share this with you, listen to it with the awareness that you all have, all of your listeners, you all have your own story. And certainly I would say you all have your own capacity to claim your story the way you choose to and the way you want to create it. But I'll say in my story, I had to go through a really brief cycle from about 16 to like 20, where I was very jaded. I wanted to be a war correspondent. I studied journalism. I was going to go to the field and die for my craft, right? It was very, it was very dramatic. But, you know, I would say for the most part, the following the sacral and following my intuition piece, really, I have to credit my dad more than anything. I, I just have to credit my dad. I, I grew up in a family of very willful people. I have an, in human design, I have a, a way of using willpower that's very fluid and very flexible, but I grew up in a family of people who were very, very willful in so many ways. Um, who, I mean, my dad, my dad was a spy. I mean, my dad literally was a spy. He worked for the state department. He, um, he would be gone for months at a time. He was always in strange places at the, at the wrong time, right? He was in Uganda when Idi Amin died. He was in Grenada. He was in El Salvador. He was, he got stuck in Afghanistan at one point and had to ride out of Afghanistan on the back of a mule through the Kyber Pass. I mean, we lived in the Middle East. We, we had to leave several countries because he got outed in the paper. You know, so I think that even though my dad is a very rational person, um, he also, I think, very much had to operate intuitively and very willfully. And I think I just was imprinted by that. And so I have a reputation in my family as being stubborn and willful, but it's kind of genetic. And that that inner connection to what's right that I think I learned from my dad, um, which really, you know, ended up being my inner guidance, my sacral, just... Um, has almost always carried me and except for the times when I ignored it and then I regretted it. <laughs> so I don't think I went through some of the decondition, the really dramatic deconditioning processes that I've seen people go through. Uh, you know, the very first time I saw a human design chart, you know, I had a complete visceral response to it. I stood there and I held that chart and I was just tears streaming. And I, I just knew like every there was like a bell going off in my body. Like I knew I had to go I, I put the house on the market, sell the house, move across the country with four small kids to Sedona, Arizona and go study it and learn everything that I could about it. I mean, it was a non-negotiable that was going to happen. And, um, and that was really before I knew human design. I didn't know anything about human design other than I need to study this. Um, and I think, as I said, my own conditioning gave me the courage maybe to be able to say, okay, let's go do this. Well, and I would imagine you've, you've been raised with like a real sense of adventure. <laughs> so this would be like, let's just go on this adventure kids. Let's just pack it all up and go. Yeah. Uh, but again, trust, like trust is so big in this, like trust that you you've seen a chart had really no idea what it was, but had this really strong response and that's it. You're going to go and study this thing. So I want to ask you this question. If you had, I know it might be a strange question, but if you had, like, did you have any idea how much of an impact you would ever make in the world with 
You know, I feel very humbled every day that I get to do what I get to do. Like I, I can't, I have like my whole life is just one big pinch me moment. Like how did I get this job? Cause it's such a great job. Um, but I have to share, you know, I, I started off being woo from the very beginning. I, my dad's again, I don't know why I'm talking about my dad today, but you know, it, it drove him nuts. Cause I would tell him, I remember being born. I remember being a baby and I would tell him details about like, I could lay in my crib. And I remember I had this mobile with birds in it. And I would tell him I can see in the dark and he would test me and I could see in the dark, you know, seeing in the dark with my third eye. Right. Um, and I, I was, as a child, I was a psychic medium. I constantly was connecting with the other side until I had a very scary experience at, when I was six. Um, I, I, we live near a train track and two girls were hit by a train and they came to me because they do, they come to kids sometimes when they cross over because they were confused and they were shocked. And I got scared and my dad came in and smacked me in the face. Not my dad never hit me other than that one time, but just because I think he didn't know what to do with the hysteria that yeah. I was having. And I remember very consciously saying, well, I'm not going to do that again. And just like shutting it all off. But I had a spirit guide named Thomas who rode around in the backseat of the car with me and my mom when I was a kid, my imaginary friend. And Thomas taught me when I was four, he taught me, he said, your job here is to go forth and teach love. That's your job. And even though there were cycles in my life growing up where I think I forgot those pieces, once I hit 20, um, and I, I worked after after I decided not to go kill myself as a war correspondent, and I became a midwife, which was like the other end of the spectrum, you know, watching babies being born and watching families become families, people become families, you know, that was a pretty humbling piece. And it definitely reawakened that, that love, that memory of being here to teach love. And um, I feel like that's what I get to do every day. I, I, I'm grateful that I have the impact that I have. I feel extremely privileged to do this work. Um, but did I set out like, did I have a goal? Like it's this many people No, I didn't. And I hope, you know, I, I feel like it's not really me. It's really, I think the pure intention of human design. You know, I really strongly believe that human design came to the planet at this time because it is a tool that can help us remember our unique and vital and irreplaceable part of the cosmic plan that can help us heal our own disconnect from our bodies and our truth and our heart and our own value. And I think it's also a really powerful tool to help us really see each other better so that we can love each other better so that we can really continue to consciously construct a world that reflects that love. And if I have impact doing this work, I'm really grateful mostly because I have, you know, I have eight kids. I have two grandsons who are two and four. And, um, you know, I have a big vision for the world that I want my grandsons to, to move into as, as they become men in the world. I want that world to be a world that's worthy of, you know, that the outer reality is worthy and, and nurturing of who I know them to be on a soul level. And, that means the more people we can touch with the love that that we are, the better, because we got work to do. And man, if we can't, I'd, I'd sure like to speed up the program. Yeah. Uh, and yes, the love. And I feel like there is such a craving for love 
mm-hmm. worldwide. And I also sense that sometimes there's just this fear around it as well. Like people have become so disconnected maybe from each other or with everything that's going on that's that or not not necessarily fear but maybe like how how do we do this and I think for me one of the biggest things is is to let go of judgment and to to heal uh, obviously there's a lot of healing to do around that as well because we're so guarded we have, we've got this we've created this shell around our heart and so really to soften yourself and to to be vulnerable and to spread that love and it, and it that's it it's it's planting seeds right and that's what you're doing that's what we're all doing with this work as well you're just planting seeds and you know somebody might not get it in this moment but something might click at some point and that's all that really matters so I think we underestimate the impact that we have even on on me I mean you're Karen you've written books um you know you're you're known you make a global impact and I'm Debbie sitting here in my office and I but I still make an impact it's oh, just yeah. a smaller scale. And I think, and that's, everybody does that. And I think we tend to forget. Uh, and I'm going to invite you to take the big and small judgment off of it, because how do you know? How do you know yeah. whether it's the big or small? You don't know what, no, you what don't. you're going to create. And, and if we're all the same, you know, individuated aspect of the divine, what's big and what's small, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a metric that in this case, I don't think is really relevant. It's not, but we have a tendency to think, oh, it's it's only just me. What what impact can I have as this one itty bitty person? <laughs> you know, that's but you know, learning me to embracing more and more, uh, you know, working with my own human design, and and rolling from one thing into the next. Ever since I started following, you know, just really realigning, deconditioning, things just start to fall into into my path just as things fell onto your path for you but like you said before it's different for everyone right it's it's not a set way um but then if you like imagine this and this is the thing again it's trust you're just you're doing your thing you're making an impact it's almost like a like a snowball that's just gathering snow as it rolls down the hill right it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger but if you were known ahead of time that you would be here and you'd be this global change agent like would you have believed it would you have trusted it would you have taken action would you have not taken action would you have gotten all heady about it like that that would have been a whole different ball game right so it's it's so important to just know that things are going to happen if they need to happen without having to know the outcome if that makes sense yeah yeah I mean and I I don't think that, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I would have done anything differently. I, I probably maybe would have valued myself a little bit better sooner. It took, you know, I had a lot of conditioning around that that I had to untangle myself out of. Um, that's probably the one thing I would have shifted. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I didn't. I, I I feel like there's still a lot to be done. So we'll see where it ends up. <laughs> yeah, you're always learning, right? You're always learning, and even, right. even exactly. human design, right? right? Human design is such a rabbit hole, and I and I I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, at some point you reach a point where you fully understand your own design. But there's so many there's so many different pieces that can affect the puzzle. Mm-hmm. That, that make up the puzzle but also so many different um things that can affect how things play out 
That's why if you have twins, they have exactly the same chart. They have completely different lives or how they're impacted or imprinted or how they develop or what they need to decondition. So it's a very personal process. And one of the things that you always say that I love is, uh, you know, you're a once in a lifetime cosmic event. Mm-hmm. I feel like that, if you can embrace that, how is that for valuing yourself? Well, it is the thing, right? I mean, to me, if we all got that, if we all got that on a cellular level, it would completely alter every decision we make as a species, right? Because no, it it never, it would never be about you anymore. It would be about you. I mean, certainly you would be an important, important part of it, but you wouldn't be the only part of it. And if you realized, okay, I'm, I'm part of a, I'm a thread in a cosmic tapestry, And that tapestry is what it is because my threads in it, but also everybody else is, is, is a thread in the same tapestry. And if I pull that thread or I cut that thread or I burn that thread, it's going to affect the whole thing. Right. Then we start to make very different decisions. We start to recognize that we have to not only value ourselves, but we have to value each other. And when we value each other, it becomes suddenly no longer acceptable for there to ever be a hungry child on the planet again, because, oh my God, why would we do that to ourselves, right? It, it completely changes the way we think and create. I mean, so, that that to me is probably my number one goal is to get every single person on this planet to recognize that they are precious and to see through that lens of their own preciousness, the inevitable innate preciousness of every other, every other living being on the planet. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about the quantum language. Like, why is language so important? Mm, that's, that's, I like that question. <laughs> so language carries a frequency. So if we went into a lab and we use equipment to measure language, which we can do, um, we would see that different words carry different frequencies. We know from science that our bodies respond to frequencies of energies. The, the words we use can impact the way water, sh- water crystallizes, um, the shapes that, uh, of water. We are literally the water within our bodies is impressed by the energy of the words that we use. We can use language and the syntax of language program into radio frequency waves to actually splice DNA. We know the DNA itself responds to language. If you put DNA in a jar and you speak really heavy, dark language to DNA, it actually contracts and its capacity to hold photons decreases. If you speak high quality, high frequency language to DNA in the jar, it actually expands and its capacity to hold light increases because DNA holds photons. Um, Words are very, very important. They are the components of a story. Uh, And those stories that we tell ourselves and the world about who we are and how we are influence, they actually program the brain to pay attention, to notice those things that match our story. They program the heart into a state of coherence, which is a highly attractive, highly creative state. And when we use high quality, high frequency language, we increase our health and we create, I believe, on an energetic level, subtle body structures that begin to pull into place on the physical level what's next in our lives our stories are important in my work with traditional human design you know i studied and worked with ra uruhu at human design america for several years and you know in that that journey of working with ra 
Ross said very often frequently, he said this, the traditional human design is designed for the not self, meaning it's a way of being and a way of understanding yourself that facilitates, that helps you get yourself untangled from your imprinting, from your personal narrative, from your conditioning, from the cultural narrative. And, and eventually he used to say, eventually he was going to write a version of human design for what he called the awakened person. But he died before he was able to complete that work. Um, when I, after doing human design readings, probably for about 10 years, I really started to get a different kind of a client. And that client, you know, I had a lot of clients that were saying, you know, I like human design. I know there's something in it. It feels right, but I really don't relate to the words. I just, I don't like the way it's taught. It doesn't relate to me. And I would say these particular kinds of clients were people who had already done a lot of personal work, a lot of spiritual growth. These were people who had been longtime meditators, people who had been, you know, actively involved in yoga and other kinds of disciplines and practices. And I think they were walking into human design already pretty deconditioned. I mean, I think um, they already got it. I mean, I had a lot of readings for people who were like, oh yeah, I understand my strategy, right? And um, and they wanted more. They wanted something more from human design, but there really wasn't anywhere to go. And so I went back and I thought for a long time about, you know, the language of human design has a very specific intention. I, I, the way I like to think of it is, you know, human design is a synthesis of Eastern and Western astrology, the Chinese I Ching, the Hindu chakra system, Judaic Kabbalah, and a little bit of quantum physics. Basically, it's comprised of ancient and modern uh, systems of knowing, right? Personality assessment systems that are made up of archetypes, parts of a story. An archetype is really neutral. It has a baseline, right? A baseline expression. If you look at the archetype of hermit, right? A hermit has a baseline expression. A hermit is somebody who likes to be alone or needs alone time, right? Well, an archetype shows up in stories on a spectrum. And in fact, a really good story is going to take you on a journey where the main character, which is just an archetype, goes through a growth process, right? They usually start off in the shadow expression of their type, uh, the shadow expression of their, of their character. And over the arc of the story, they go through experiences that in the end, they become the hero, right? And uh, our human design chart is sort of comprised of all these different parts of a story. And for most of us, when we walk into human design, we're living kind of the shadow aspect on that spectrum of those archetypes. It's through the process of living according to our strategy and our authority, following the way our energy works and the way our energy flows, that we heal, right? We heal that part of the story and we bring ourselves back to baseline. And that baseline means that you've reconnected to your body, you understand how your body feels when you encounter truth, what feels good, what feels right, what doesn't. You learn how to trust the body and the wisdom of the body. I mean, really everything in human design is really about the wisdom of the body, right? And as you live that way at a certain point, you know, and it takes time to get reconnected with that. At a certain point, the we come to the end of traditional human design. There's like nothing beyond that baseline place. So I actually went into a sound lab and I took a, a thesaurus with me. I have a big, big Rodale's thesaurus, which literally is like four or five inches thick. Um, and I started playing with all of the current vocabulary and traditional human design and looking up synonyms 
and exploring if I measured the frequencies of these languages, if I created a higher frequency expression of the archetypes in human design, what would that look like? And what would it sound like? And what would those mean? And so I, I created this whole new vocabulary. And in conjunction with that, I started to really explore and, and kind of assess with my clients, particularly my awakened clients, if you will, you know, what do you think your purpose is? Why are you here? And as I continue to ask my clients those questions, what I saw was that even the basic archetype in human design, the types, there are five types, which basically is the main character in your story. Even those five, those five archetypes basically had a higher expression that went beyond the baseline that had a more spiritual, more energetic, more quantum, if you will, definition and so eventually, after a lot of time and work, uh, quantum human design was born, which is just the next step beyond the baseline. And so it gives our clients a way of recovering themselves back to baseline and then consciously choosing to grow into a more expanded purpose that I think integrates the soul curriculum of all of the human story into the experience of the human story and guides us, and I think um, anchors us in a higher fulfillment of the stories we're all living in. Thank you. <laughs> that that really explains it so well. And um, I notice that too when people have readings with me, quantum human design readings, they're like, "Oh, this language is so much. It's so good to understand." And especially when people first hear about human design, they'll go online, and there's so much out there. Uh, but to really have it explained to you in a language that raises the vibration that that makes you understand, OK, yes, I may be living in the shadow side, but hey, there's also there's an out. So there's a way to get to the light. Mm -hmm. And um, another question, because I come across this as well with a lot of clients when we talk about creativity. And I was like this as well. When I was young, I was, you know, I couldn't I couldn't draw. I was I was teased for the stuff that I made in school. I wasn't creative. Oh, yeah. Pulling on my band aid now, aren't you? <laughs> uh, I was, you know, I labeled, I was labeled, and I uh, labeled myself as not being creative. And I think it was, it, it wasn't probably until I started studying with you and understanding that creativity is not, you know, being able to draw beyond stick figures or, you know, sing or whatever, but it has a whole different meaning. And I've really embraced my creativity. So, can you please share for the people that are listening what, what, is creativity as far as you know. well first of all if we go back to the dictionary <laughs> and we look at what is creativity it simply is the ability to create and so if we go strictly with that definition every one of us is creative because you're creating your life every single second that you're here breathing so every one of us is creative and you know there are lots of different degrees of creativity the way that i like to define it is when we are living from our conditioning, meaning when we're following the formulas of success, when we are being who the world taught us we need to be or should be to be successful in the world, um, when we are living from the internalization of the message that it's not okay for us to be who we are or how we are, or when we're, you know, when we've experienced trauma, either our own personal trauma, or we're even carrying threads of ancestral trauma within us, when we approach the world even though we are technically creating, we are really oftentimes reacting, meaning we are literally reacting a pattern. And it's a learned pattern. It's often a defensive pattern or a protective pattern. It's a way of being in the world that 
continues to enforce that we draw solutions from a very small select set of options. And because we know those solutions, because we can use those solutions in a protective way, because those solutions oftentimes um, keep us from having to draw on the courage that it takes to grow, we get stuck there, right? We react and we react and we react. And oftentimes integrated into that reactivity is fear, which is a big part of reactivity, right? We get afraid and so we react. When we untangle ourselves from our conditioning, when we begin to reclaim sovereignty over the stories we tell about who we are and how we are, and we start to tell high quality stories, Stories that include our value, our lovability, our empowerment, our capacity for self-trust, our capacity to, to, to really take back control over what we choose and what we decide. When we you know, make the decision to be relentlessly authentic in our self-expression, when we become emotionally wise, you know, when we live in a resilient state and our story, our personal narrative begins to reflect that state, what happens is we entrain our hearts, that, that creative center, part of our creative center, we entrain the heart into a state of coherence. So we can literally begin to, with great intention and deliberation, program our hearts to become, uh, to, to exist in a state of coherence. That state of coherence actually enhances our creative capacity because what that does is it, it takes us out of cycles of reactivity into cycles of possibility, beginning to think in a way beyond the old patterns. And what that actually does is it allows us to leapfrog oftentimes over that small set of bo that box that has that small set of options that we've been drawing from all of our lives. We can leapfrog over that box and actually tap into options for how things can show up in a world that transcend or go beyond what we think is possible. We might technically define that as a miracle, or we might call it synchronicity, we can call it magic, whatever you want to call it, it's woo-woo, right? <laughs> that state of living and, and co-creating in partnership with God, the quantum field, the universe, whatever word you want to put on it, really is the ultimate, I think, creative definition of creativity through the lens of the human story. And certainly, again, I would say in human design, what we see is that the chart itself, you know, built into the story of human design is an evolution. The chart itself is changing. And part of what's changing is the way in which we create. We are moving out of fear as being a driver for what we create. We are moving from fear into faith being the driver for what we create, which means we are healing. We're designed to heal. We're on a healing story. And I think where we are in the trajectory of that story is, um, you know, we're we're kind of at the. I don't I don't know what I don't want to call it the crisis point, but that's kind of what we call it sometimes in storytelling. But we're definitely at that climax, right, in the story where we're all sort of having to look at each other and go, hmm, "Do we like this? No, <laughs> I don't think so. Is this pattern working? Nah, not really." And we're really having to make some big decisions about how are we going to move forward, not only individually, but collectively. And I think, you know, as we go through the next couple of years, really contending with this climax in our, our human story, we will see that we're going to emerge with a very different understanding of how to create the elegant solutions to the challenges facing humanity. I think we're going to be fine. I'm not really worried about the future. I just think um, right now we're in a pretty intense cycle of remembering our innate creative capacity.
Yeah, it's definitely yeah a shakeup that we're uh, that we're experiencing, right? And and so this is such a perfect time actually to really step into the deconditioning and start to understand yourself, to embrace um, things like human design and other you know especially healing healing modalities as well. So I usually ask, do you have a piece of advice or some wisdom to impart? But would you be open for drawing a card with me? And then let's see what pops up and just talk a little bit about that because that would draw be... one or am I gonna draw one? Oh, you've got your card deck, you draw one. Okay, okay. Of course you've got your own card deck. What am I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I I have a very um I have a very compulsive way that I have to shuffle my cards. I really oh, yes. do it. Um I did I worked for as a psychic for a lot of years at the Sedona Center for the New Age, and I um did a lot of card readings. All right. So let's call our card for today. So interesting. Our card for today is the gate 21, self-regulation. Wow. And so, you know, in response to, I think, a little bit of an exploration around, well, what do we need right now? I mean, self-regulation is an energy that lives on the center that is about our value and our self-worth. It lives on the resource center. It's what we call it in quantum human design, the will center in traditional human design. is an energy that says when we regulate ourselves, meaning when we're consistent with things like self-care, self-nurturing, taking stock of our resources, taking care of our resources, when we regulate the use of our energy, when we are clear and sustainable in the way in which we value ourselves, value each other and value the world around us, then we make the resources that we have, including our own value and our own story, we make ourselves sustainable. And so we become better able to meet the challenges ahead. We meet the challenges with a full bank of resources available. We can bend, we can flow. The shadow of this energy is control, right? But it's interesting that through self-regulation, we actually create more flow, more fluidity, more ability to bend because we're not creating from a desperate place. We're not creating from an empty hole, right? We're creating with, from a fully resourced position. And that gives us the ability to make decisions with nothing to lose, if you will. We're not, we're not, you know, creating from a place of lack, but from a place of sustainable consistency. So. Yes, I love that. And I think one of the biggest things as well, again, when I look at my clients is, is being able to have like the boundaries that you need. Mm -hmm. But a lot of those boundaries that they're not willing to set is because there is this need for control. <laughs> Right. Well, or because they're afraid they'll lose stuff. If I yeah. if I set this boundary, I might lose this relationship or I might lose exactly. this job or yeah, for sure. Yeah. Whereas a matter of fact, if you do that for yourself, you're actually, again, it's going to be planting not just a ripple effect, but you're also planting seeds. You're showing somebody else like, wait a minute. When you set a boundary, like it can actually be a good thing. It's, it's again, it's conditioning, right? We're conditioned to think that we have to give so much of ourselves and we lose ourselves in the process. So, wow. Thank you so much, Karen, for our time together, for having this chat with me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I, I've enjoyed talking to you a lot. It's good to be here. Yes. Yeah, so thank you. And uh, thank you, listeners. I hope you enjoyed this and uh, I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of She Woo Dares. I hope you've gained something from it. If you feel you'd like to listen to more, please subscribe to stay updated of future releases. If you feel this has impacted you or you know people that will benefit, please share this podcast. 
Also, if you'd like to work with me, you can find the information on my website. It will be posted in the show notes. And if you'd like to be on this podcast, there's also a link to an application form in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. I hope you will be back and I wish you a magical day.